Okay, we're live. How are you doing today, Travis? Good, good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I've been trying to get you on for a while. It's been it's been about a year now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I've kind of oscillated. Um, I really stayed away. I kind of can you move uh, the microphone closer. Yep, you Sorry. bet. Um, oh, it's kind of bouncing back up here. Okay. All right. There we go. Is that better? Perfect. All right. Excellent. Yeah, I kind of went um, went quiet, went dark there for a little while, um, kind of limited the Facebook friends and kind of went a little silent and stayed off of social media for a while. Um, I was probably a little too addicted to social media. <laughs> Aren't uh, we all? Yeah. Yeah. So and now since I have my own podcast, I thought it was unfair to not come on yours and I like your podcast. So well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, you're somebody that I found really interesting because I didn't know about your story until after I met you and you told me a little bit about your history and uh completely changing your lifestyle. Um, but before we get into that, I I I really want to talk about that. But let's talk about your, your past. You're obviously from the Lansing area. You're from Holt, right? Yep. Born and raised. Yep, yep. Grew up in Holt. And uh, born in 1980, uh, went to Holt until I graduated, then went to LCC and went to Northwood. But I did that all basically remote. So through LCC, the, they had a three plus one program at the time. So I actually didn't even need to go there. I think I went for one weekend to Midland to Northwood and that was it. Wow. Yeah. So I'd been here my whole life and honestly never really expected that. I expected that I would move at some point to like most people do to have to pursue a career somewhere else. Like most of my friends now have, have had to leave the Michigan area to for better economic opportunities. And um, I've been really fortunate that I've been able to stay in this area and then married my amazing wife, Lakin, and she's from the area. She grew up in Lansing, went to Dwight Rich. Um, then her family moved to DeWitt and she graduated from DeWitt. So uh, yeah, and, and we're really fortunate also. We've got both sets of grandparents that are right in the Holton DeWitt area. And then we still have grandma Bobby Ray that is into it too. Um, I've and, seen you guys post pictures. With yeah. Her. Yeah. 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 She's, she is amazing. I just <laughs> adore her. She's kind of an institution. She worked downtown for a really long time and she's actually coming over after we're done here for Sunday soup. My ah. wife does at, at our house for all of October. So we get the whole family together and now we have a five-year-old that's going to Hazlitt schools. And, um, actually, uh, as an, an insane turn of events, I'm actually a trustee of the Hazlitt school board now. I've seen as, that. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're really committed to the area and dedicated to trying to see it succeed if we can. Um, and just trying to provide any help that we can. And then my father, uh, worked for general motors, um, mm. like you do. And my mom is a broker in real estate and she's been at real estate one for a long time. And well. Yeah, so we're we're got a lot of deep roots here in the area. That's very cool. And that's one thing I really appreciated about you and that's actually kind of how I learned about you and and Matt, the co other co-owner co of Saddleback because yep. uh, you guys were giving away a lot to the community uh, around Thanksgiving last year and I'm like, what are these guys? Like who are these guys? Oh, so I thanks. started doing some research and I'm like, oh, Travis, okay. And then Matt and uh, I think I read I think I you reached out to me. Uh, initially about the podcast you're yeah. like hey man like i like what you're doing and i appreciated that like i really needed that 
And then, um, oh, that means a lot. But I didn't realize it was, you were the owner of Saddleback at the time, one yeah. of the owners. And I was like, okay, I just kind of blew it off, whatever. Like, didn't even think too much about it after that. But then after I reached out to you, I'm like, oh, that's the owner of Saddleback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. it's interesting how, like, you could live in a community and not even really know who some of these business owners are. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, that's one thing I like by doing this podcast is getting to know some of these people because then you put a face to that business. Yeah, I think that that's um, that's something that I try to do a lot, too. So we try to connect with as many business owners mm -hmm. as possible. And we we really uh, Matt Gillett is just just a sweetheart. He's just uh, just an amazing, amazing guy. And we really believe that the rising tide raises all boats. And we say that over and over again. Well, I really repeated over and over again, <laughs> uh, more so than he does. Um, but uh, so we try to help as, as much as we can. And I know it's, not, you know, I'm not trying to be grandiose here. Like mm -hmm. it's a minuscule amount of help. They're the ones that do all the hard work. But we feel that there's too much um, focus on competition in the area that, um, you know, it, well, let me give an example. It'll often come up like who is better Saddleback barbecue or meat barbecue. Mm. Meat's been around forever. Meat is amazing. Meat yeah, has it a is amazing. great place, great food. Um, the guy that owns it is great. Um, they have a I great reputation. I think his his uh, the guy that owns it, his mom lives across the street from me. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. But it's it's great, and it's just so in in our view, it's just very limiting to think who is better. You know, it, it doesn't matter who's better. Both can succeed. There's no, it's not, it's not a zero sum game. Mm, if right. for, for one to do well, doesn't mean that the other has to be bad. Right. You know, you can like the brisket at one and, you know, the yeah. mac and cheese at another. Right. And you can support both. There's right. no reason to tear down one because you prefer the other one. It's like, it's like eating pizza too, right? Like <laughs> you can, you can have pizza almost every single day from a different restaurant. It tastes differently. Absolutely. And you can appreciate the differences. Yeah. Well, and to come to food too, that was one of the things that really interested me about food after um, leaving the tech world was that in the tech world, you know, previously, one of the things we did was hosted websites. So when a customer would call and they were complaining, it was because the website was either up or down. Hmm. So it was very binary. Right. Like we're either right. we're doing well because your website is up and running really well, or we're doing poorly because your website is down. With with food like pizza, for instance, you can literally let's take um, actually let's not take pizza. Let's take brisket. You know, the brisket is one piece, one slab of meat. It's the peck muscle on the cow. And we cut that up and we serve that to multiple customers. One customer can get one slice and say that it's the best brisket they ever <laughs> had. Another customer could get this, uh, the same exact brisket, but a different slice and say it's the worst brisket they've ever had. <laughs> Right. Or some person oh, can say, man. I don't want fatty. And then the other person says that I only want fatty. Right. So it's very subjective. So when somebody gets into these debates about what's the best pizza, I just kind of roll my eyes. <laughs> Actually, one, one of the, the funny things that Matt and I will sometimes joke about at Saddleback is uh, I'll say, well, um, what is the best hamburger in the world? We'll ask that to people. What's the best hamburger in the world? And they'll go, oh, you know, Chevelle in Chicago or, um, you know, this local place or something. And I'll say it, it's McDonald's hamburger. 
It's, mm. it's the one that sells the most. That is true. Right. How can you empirically or, you know, like <laughs> with facts and data actually oh. say that one is better than the other? Right. Really? I mean, we're voting with our dollar every single time that we go out and yeah. buy a product. And if you're deciding to buy it billions of times a year globally, yeah. then it's maybe it's pretty good. But of course, none of us believe that that's the best hamburger in the world. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the best, obviously, right? I mean, people probably don't actually think that. I think they just think it's cheap, right? That's that's why. But but how would how would you um, at that point does it you, matter if it's the best? How would you define best? Right, best right? for your price. That's always just subjective. <laughs> it is subjective. That's why these wow. you know constant debates about what's the best food, what's the best you know what's the best restaurant, it's just right. kind of funny. It's me. all subjective. It's all subjective. Yeah. It's all yeah. And there's another thing, and I can go down this rabbit hole that nobody really cares about. But the other thing <laughs> is, you know, we kind of we think badly or poorly of McDonald's because every single time we go to McDonald's, whether it's here or in Edinburgh, Scotland, it tastes mm -hmm. exactly the same. You know, really what they're selling is consistency. And what we're looking for in local restaurants is not consistency. Right. We want right. it to be bespoke. We want it to be handmade. We want it to be. Right. So that means that it's not always going to taste the same, right? Yeah. It has to, right? I like it, the way you think, Travis. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously you think you you work in the restaurant industry, so you kind of think out the out of the box than most people who are just consumers. Yeah, well, yeah, I would say um, I, I would say it's kind of frustrating to like my business partner, Matt, you know, I think I, I, I tend to look at I tend to try to be maybe a little contrarian. You know, I, mm -hmm. I look at things and try to see them a little differently. Maybe. I don't know. Who have, knows? have you always been that way? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has yeah. that caused problems? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm high on the disagreeable index. <laughs> And, and I guess I, I just enjoy that side of life. I like debating things. I like, you know, um, what's that statement uh, or that old adage? Um, um, uh, strong opinions loosely held. Mm, you know, the idea right. that I, I have an opinion on things, but I'm willing to change it at any time based on new data and better data. Right, right. And I think that's where some people get too rigid in their thinking. Mm -hmm. They're not able to adapt yep. and, and change their mind. And they feel like I have to defend my old ideas. I, I don't really feel that loyalty to my old ideas. I have been wrong about so many things. Well, let's take an example. Uh, for uh, my entire life growing up until I was 21, I was a uh, straight edge. I was a drummer in a punk rock band. I uh, a pretty bad punk rock band no offense <laughs> to the other people in the band i was just i didn't take music seriously enough uh in retrospect but um and i completely changed that when i turned 21 and i started drinking you know and so that was a that was a radical change from what i had believed before and it was really a part of my identity before did you not believe that you should be drinking what was why didn't you drink it's actually a funny story. My my mom made and and she doesn't remember doing this, but she made a statement like uh, I think I said something like, man, you know, why do you guys drink? And she goes, oh, you know, you'll drink at some point, too. And I said, no way. I'll never drink. And she's like, ah, if you don't drink, I bet you a thousand dollars you'll drink at some point. And and I actually kind of wrote that down. <laughs> 
And I would keep saying it. So, you know, as a kid, I was like a thousand dollars. That's amazing. So it gave me some goal and, and to her credit, she, she paid it off too. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But that, that was kind of the first thing. And then, you know, I was big into punk rock. And at that time, this band minor threat had this kind of a movement that was against, uh, against drinking. Really? And was it like I, a local band? No, no. I, I actually don't know where they were from. Um, and I got into punk rock because my cousin, who was kind of my idol growing up, Ryan Backey, um, he was into punk rock. So then I followed him and it kind of gave me an identity. And, you know, we're all searching for something mm -hmm. to hold on to and yeah. something to believe in. And that was kind of my identity at the time. And then at 21, I just decided because I'd cut my throat uh, in a hockey skate incident, um, I nearly died and I kind of had a an epiphany of like, man, I, I could die without experiencing a lot of the things that other people have experienced. And maybe now I should actually try some of these things instead of judging them based out without my own personal experience with those things. What kind of things were you, did you have preconceived ideas of, and then what did you, what, what kind of things did you try and what, how did that change your thoughts about them? I'd say, I mean, I probably had preconceived ideas about everything. Uh, I, I drugs, think, alcohol, sex, everything, like, politics, politics, um, everything that's dis divisive, it, just, <laughs> just everything. I was just so opinionated and I'm still probably too opinionated again, that back to that strong opinions, loosely held. I, I, I have this, um, a, a weakness or a failure in myself where I will hold strong opinions without enough evidence to support those. And especially not enough personal mm. experience with them. And I still struggle with that today. So I really, really actively try to be skeptical of my own thinking. That's well, something I really try hard. That's on. probably something that's really good about you do literally doing the year of the opposite, because now you're re you're re like forming your brain. You're trying these things that you wouldn't typically have, which I now I see why that's such a big deal to you that you're trying all these different things that you would typically wouldn't typically do. That's exactly right. It changes the way you think about it, changes your habits and changes I mean, even the things you like to do, I'm sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was why I really wanted to push it. And then now looking backwards, um, you know, I went from to 21 without, with that kind of period. And then I went from 21 to basically 42. So I, I think I might be living my life in like 21 year <laughs> seasons. <laughs> hopefully I have many seasons. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, now, you started drinking at 21. I did. What kind of impact did that have on your life? Did you did that send you down a, a path that you weren't happy with? I think it was really good for me. Um, it it made me question. Uh, I was probably no, I was too judgmental. I was too um, critical of others, and drinking made me realize that wow, I was really wrong about this. This doesn't, this isn't a terrible thing. You know, it, it does have negative side effects, but it also has positives. There's, there's no question about it. It's good for like a social lubricant and hanging out with friends and absolutely just, just chilling. Absolutely. You know, it can be very relaxing. There's no question that it can be used as a tool. That's why it it has been mm -hmm. used as a tool when going we, back so long. When we sit around the podcast, like I, I've had friends on and we just sit there and drink. That's probably some of the best podcasts, like just fun. Like it, the, as far as like the camaraderie that you have with everybody. Totally. It's like you're sitting in a bar just talking, but you're 
you're recording it. Yeah. And, and how dare I judge somebody else for deciding to do that? Right. And I was doing that. And it was just, you know, I look back and regret thinking of how, how I would do that. Did you have like negative experiences with people that were alcoholics? No, I, I didn't have. No, not at all. Not at all. The only negative experience I ever had with alcohol was actually kind of my own doing. I remember um, it was, uh, I don't remember where it was. It was by Kiwanis Park, but I forget whose house it was. You know, because I didn't drink in high school, I didn't get invited to many parties. Um, I also wasn't a very popular guy. Um, and I remember going to one party and somebody basically kicked me out and said, you know, we're drinking here and you're judging us. And, <laughs> and they kicked me out. And, oh. you know, I don't, but that, that kind of reinforced me, uh, you know, mm -hmm. oh man, these, these people are bad. And I should say, you know, I, I'm speaking a little dramatically, like I, most of my friends drank at the time. Like I didn't have any problems with them. Um, it was just something that I was wrong about, you know, I was just wrong about. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> when did you, I kind of want to get into your story a little bit and cause you, uh, we're one of the owners of uh, Liquid Web, correct? Yeah. And so let, let's uh, clear that up. So Liquid Web was um, an S corporation. So it's difficult to have uh, multiple owners of an S corporation because there's tax implications. So what we did at Liquid Web was I I actually proposed to Matt Hill, uh, the the founder of Liquid Web, a program called a Phantom Equity Bonus Structure where essentially I had equity, but it only became real on a liquidity event or a change of ownership. Mm -hmm. So yes, I was an owner, but when people look at it like a, most companies, or I shouldn't say most companies, but uh, companies that offer equity to their employees are generally structured as what's called a C corporation. We weren't, we were an S corporation. So to do that, we did it as a phantom equity bonus structure. So my equity became real only when we sold the company in 2015. Wow. So that's so, something that people sometimes get really messed up. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, they'd like, Oh, he wasn't actually an owner. Well, that's not, okay. Fine. <laughs> I, I don't care. But um, you know, it still got me, um, you know, paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what was your roles at Liquid Web? What did you do? Yeah, we didn't have we we didn't really have titles. So we okay. literally um, myself and Chris Strand, my uh, very very close friend, probably my best friend. Um, he, uh, him, and I, in our view, we really ran the day to day operations. But I think our titles were like I think he was infrastructure director and I was marketing director. Okay. But if you asked anybody within the organization, we were the ones that us two ran the company with uh greg hill matt's dad who uh an incredible guy who was um kind of like a controller accountant but i don't even think he had a title and then his brother uh jer hill so it was kind of us four and matt and at that time matt had really kind of stepped back from the company he'd been doing it for a long time and he moved to arizona and was living there for the most of the most of the time but to answer your question more specifically, um, I did the marketing, sales, and business side of the company, and Chris did the technical and development side of the company. But, I mean, it got to a point where Chris actually even gave up his office. He just lived in my office. <laughs> I mean, every decision we made together. Wow. And we grew um, with Matt and, and the entire team. You know, not, not this obviously was a team effort. 
we grew the company to 480 employees, um, about 80 million in revenue, and we sold in 2015 for a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I think somebody told me that Liquid Web was one of the largest or is the largest sell in Lansing's history. I, I think it is the largest S corporation that's ever sold in Michigan, but wow. I'm not positive on that, but I've said that a few times and, and nobody's been able to point out another <laughs> one, but that wow. is because most companies that sell are C corporations. Um, right. So like there's some like um, uh, duo security and there are mm -hmm. some large companies that have sold now that are much bigger than that in the billions range, but not many that are S corporations. Because right. generally, it, basically to get into that, um, S corporations are what are called pass-through entities. So essentially all of the income of the business is your personal income. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of plumbers, uh, restaurants, uh, HVAC companies, those are generally S corporations. Right. And, and yeah. again, this on the political side, this gets into when people talk about taxation and they say, well, you know, tax the rich. A lot of those people are plumbers, right? They, right. They it looks like on paper that they're making a lot of money. Yeah, but it's their business. It's right? their business, but taxation-wise, there's no difference because that all that money just flows through to your personal taxes. Right. So when we talk yeah. about the individual tax rate, a lot of times that affects people that are taxed at the S corporation level. That makes sense. Um, and of course, I'm not a an accountant, so you know whatever. Um, don't don't take my word on any of this stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, that we were the largest S corporation that sold. How did you, what did you go to school for? So I believed the guidance counselors in high school <laughs> and I went to school for what I loved, which was audio recording and video, video recording. Mm. So my first degree was a associate's degree from LCC for audio video recording. And then when I started working at a company called TechSmith, uh, Bill Hamilton, the owner and founder there, is like a second father to me. I just love that guy. And he gave me so many opportunities there. And he told me, uh, you're not going to get any more raises unless you get a bachelor's degree. And wow. he actually paid for it, too, because wow. he's, he's a mensch. And uh, so I went back to LCC and then got a business degree from Northwood. Okay. I was wondering how your roles played into, um, or your your skill set, how that played into the marketing at Liquid Web. Oh, so. none. Uh, you, you shouldn't go to school for marketing to learn marketing. <laughs> well, it changes so much, right? Yeah. I mean, with the internet, marketing is completely different now than it was then. Yeah, it's it's... It's very, I feel bad for the universities because it's incredibly difficult to educate somebody on marketing because. How do you stay up to date on it? You just have to do it. You yeah. have to do it. You have to be in the tools. You have to be using them all the time. You have to stay up to date with how everything changes. Yeah, it's it's something that you have to stay abreast of all the time. Yeah. Now, when did you guys sell Liquid Web? What year was that? July 2015. Wow. And. I mean, I'm, I imagine that your life changed drastically when you did sell. It it didn't really. Um, no. As far as like, I mean, because I'll just be honest, you made a yeah. lot of money. Um, yeah. You became extremely rich. What did, I, I'm just curious, what did that, I mean, and I'm sure everybody listening wants to know, like, what what is that feeling like? I mean, were were you rich before, before that? Yeah, I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate. I have yeah. nothing to complain about in this world. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was probably. I, so I you're was, well to do. Yeah, I but, mean, I was, I was, well, I was making, you know, $200,000, $250,000 a year before that. 
So I was doing fine. Money was never an issue. Um, and, and I had been doing well for a long time before that. And, um, when the sale happened, um, uh, I didn't have any earn out or anything. I just received a big chunk of money into my bank account on that day. Um, the day of the closing and it did feel great. It, it felt like I had achieved a goal that I'd had for a really long time. Um, I feel, I feel silly saying this, but I did want to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 and, um, you know, awesome I achieved goal. that, but it was, it was late. I, I think it is a, a bad goal. Uh, mm. I, I think it's, you know, you shouldn't be motivated by the money or right, I guess right. it's, or maybe it's, um, unpopular to say, I don't, I don't know. It, it's but the fact that you now, when you cashed out, you didn't have you don't have to worry about anything anymore, right? Like you don't have to worry about the fine, like the finance. Well, that, that's, that part had kind of already happened. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't need to worry about money before. Okay. Um, because I, I was, you know, it's hard to spend 200 grand a year, <laughs> you know, it, like that, that yeah. spending was never really the thing that sat, that gave me satisfaction. I would suggest that it probably doesn't give anybody satisfaction long-term. I don't know if it's the spending. I think it's just like the, the, idea that you don't have to worry about uh where your money's going to come from right like most people especially right now with inflation and how crazy things are people are just barely making it and they're just they, they just know they have to go to work every week because they need the money yeah but like knowing that you don't need that money and that you can just literally do whatever you want and that's no longer a factor in life yeah what was that like you can literally just do whatever you want it was weird because it felt, it felt amazing. It felt like I had hit that milestone, but that is exactly what caused all the problems in my health was I, I hit that, that, um, kind of finish line yeah. and thought, all right, now, now I don't need to dress up. Now I don't need to go anywhere. That's... Now I can sleep in as long as I want. Now I, you know, I don't have to work out. I don't have to be I mean, I literally showed up to a meeting with a senator in <laughs> I remember uh, telling me this. sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, black sweatpants and a black sweatshirt. I mean, I would I would wear a black T-shirt and black sweatpants most most days. Yeah. I just thought I didn't I don't need to impress anybody. I don't need to. And yeah, and, and that was and, and I got to do a lot of fun things and it was great, but I didn't okay. really uh increase my spending all that much. I didn't really get any satisfaction out of spending. I bought a house on a lake because that was something that I wanted since I was a child. And I bought a boat that's probably too expensive and a little <laughs> opulent. And uh, I don't know if I used opulent, right? Uh, <laughs> and then I bought a Tesla. Um, it, but I didn't buy the most expensive Tesla or anything. And honestly, I think that's that's about all. And then I, I, I tried to increase my charitable giving and I tried mm -hmm. to do some things for some friends and family. Um, but I mean, one thing I like about you and I wasn't trying to like get into your personal finances, but no, that's okay. I, I like the fact that I really appreciate this about you, that you, I mean, you literally have like the, one of the best success stories that most people like dream of. They come into all this money, oh, right? You. Like become these millionaires and now they, they don't have to worry about anything. Like my kids talk about it all the time, dad, if you, if you get big on YouTube, we can go do this. And you don't even have to think about like money. They, yeah. they say that all the time. Yeah. 
so it's like from kids that's what kids see they see these youtubers that it just have all kinds of money and they can right. do whatever they want they don't have to work they don't have to do anything they just enjoy life right i think for a lot of people and for me including like if i were to come in that kind of money i would get soft i think that it would be so easy to not have to worry about the struggles in life and that you just start you would almost have to create your own issues your own uh uh like your own um struggles to go through like i mean whether it's like physical or mental like putting yourself through hard things in order to stay true to who you are as a person i think that you nailed it i think that's exactly what happened to me that was the trap that i fell into yeah i i didn't push myself anymore i didn't you know i i i feel like i i let myself down a bit because i didn't translate that opportunity into um, I didn't capitalize on that opportunity that I had, but I, but I will suggest that one of the things that I observe is that people tend to increase their spending almost exactly the same as their income. So they're always feeling like they're struggling. You know, I have friends that make, you know, two, $300,000, but they're struggling. They're really struggling. And I just want like, how is this possible? Like <laughs> you make so much money. Right. And it's just because if you're increasing your spending and you're trying to keep up with everyone around you, mm -hmm. you will never feel rich. Right. You know, if, if there's that saying, the comparison is the thief of joy or the death of joy. Mm -hmm. That is totally, totally true. You know, for let, let me, um, since I'm speaking too vaguely, you know, my, I, Matt Hill that founded Liquid Web, uh, we were best friends when we were two years old. We grew up next door to each other. Um, his father was like a second father when I was growing up. Uh, his brother, Jer, is the reason that I play drums because I looked up to him because he was four years older than me. Um, if I compared myself, my life to Matt Hill, mm -hmm. uh, I would always feel inadequate and yeah. like I was way behind. I mean, Matt, Matt literally rented his studio in LA to Kanye West. That's insane. He was friends with Justin Bieber. You know, he rented his place in Arizona to Katy Perry. You know, wow. I mean, he, he had a, a yacht. He had, you know, access to anything that he wanted. You know, I, I think he literally owns a Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> skull, you know, like, wow. He owns like the original print of Rick and Morty, uh, like, wow. or the R2D2 print, I think. Like, you know, if I compared my life to my friend Matt Hill, mm -hmm. I would always feel inadequate. But I was really, that was one of the things that I was fortunate in is that I, I never had that. I didn't have that need to spend. Right. Um, you know, we, I think we live in maybe the cheapest house on Lake Lansing. Um, or, or it is, you know, at the time when we bought it, it was one of the cheapest houses and, 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 and I'm not saying that as a bragging, it's still expensive. It's still, mm -hmm. you know, but it's, but, it's not like we were out there just trying to spend money and it's not like we were getting, uh, satisfaction out of the spending. I'm, I'm, my wife would say I'm very cheap. You know, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very frugal. Well, that's one thing I, um, you kind of like spoke true to that when I, the first time I met you, we walked into, what was the name of the Mayfair's? Is that? The, oh yeah. Mayfair. Yeah. And uh, you were eating chili and I'm like, this guy's just eating chili <laughs> at this like hole in the wall place in Hazlitt. Big, big Mayfair like, fan. Uh, Brett from Mayfair is an amazing guy. 
Yeah. And I love chili too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought I was like, huh, that's interesting. I mean, because like oftentimes we get this idea of like, if you're rich, you eat at these like, like fancy places. And... I am probably guilty of that. I, I mean, I have you been to Bodie's? Oh yeah. That's yeah. my favorite place. That's great. It's great. Have you been to the one in the Saga Talk, the original? I have not. No, I've been to Grand Rapids. Not as good, but. Yeah. Oh man. I love the one in Grand Rapids. Really? Yeah. I mean, oh. well, I guess it always depends on when you were there, but the one in Saga Talk is wild because you're basically eating in this house. So sometimes you'll get seated in this three seasons room out front that looks like literally your three seasons room <laughs> growing up. So you're eating this like $200 meal in a three oh, seasons room hilarious. that costs $200. That's yeah. hilarious. The one, um, I, the, what I really like about the one here in Lansing is it's so small and intimate. You get this like, and I, and for me, like when you go to a restaurant like that, and I, the problem is now I compare every restaurant that's like high class to Bodie's here yeah. in Lansing. And so like whenever we go, you I feel like you're paying for the experience. It's yeah. not just the food. It's the experience that also makes the food taste good. Oh, absolutely. And so when we went to Grand Rapids, I think that was part of the issues. Grand Rapids, it's a normal size restaurant. Right. You walk in, there's like a lot of people. Yeah. I feel like the service isn't as focused on you because there's so many people. And maybe that just affected the way I thought about it. But Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it is beautiful, too. That's a yeah. really nice restaurant in Grand Rapids. I yeah. went, I also went to uh, St. Elmo's in Indianapolis. I haven't been there. It It's a good restaurant. Um, We went down for a, a, a Bon Jovi concert and the night before. Wait, really? Yeah. That, nice. Yeah. It was a terrible concert. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, he's just getting old and his voice sucks now. Um, and it's, it's sad to see, but yeah. Um, my wife is a huge fan, was a huge fan. <laughs> and uh, so we went to this Bon Jovi concert, but we also went to St. Elmo's. And the night before, bon, jo bon Jovi was there. So we're like, oh, cool. It's this like high class restaurant. And I compared it to Bodie's. I'm like, this is not as good as Bodie's. Bodie's wins wins the steak on this one. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great. Bodie's is expanding all over the place. They too. are. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorite restaurants. It's great. So we should shout out some of the other ones. Um, Bridge Street Social, Mike Luther. Where's that? Um, in DeWitt. Okay. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, People's Kitchen uh, hmm. on the east side of, I've not of been Lansing. There fantastic. Really, really great. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some good restaurants and, you know, Capital City Barbecue. Uh, mm -hmm. We just, uh, our friend Greg and I, we just went to Faux 777. Okay. There in Okemos. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was good restaurants here. I like that uh, you're somebody that is supportive of all these other restaurants here in Lansing and Absolutely. all these other businesses. I think it's important to see how somebody who, or, you know, somebody who owns a business is, and is successful is willing to help sh uh, share the wealth a little bit. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I just deeply believe it. That, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think too many people really think of things in zero sum terms. Like if, if I give you your flowers, that somehow that diminishes me, right? You know that yeah. by me saying that Bridge Street Social is great, that that means that Saddleback Barbecue is going to lose customers. I mean, we have literally never experienced that. We've helped Capital City Barbecue, we've helped Coach's Pub, we've helped, you know, QPs, uh, uh, anybody that needs help and would uh, would allow us to help them. We would try to help and it's never hurt us in any way. And we really try to encourage other restaurants to, to do that as well, because we think that it will help the whole community too. 
We need a rising tide. Well, and then uh, that, that also speaks true to what you were saying when I think you told me before you guys paid a um, a lunch or for the lunches for a school, a school district, and then other businesses followed suit. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that story is kind of weird. Um, it was during COVID. I was waking up. I was uh, this was before my news diet. So I was still watching the news. And I see this diet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that there was a barbecue restaurant in the Flint area that had paid off the student lunch debt in a school district in the area. And I was like, what what is school, uh, student lunch debt? I'd never even heard of that. So I reached out to some friends that are teachers at Holton Mason schools and asked them, what is student lunch debt? Like, I've never heard about this. And do you guys have it there? And they explained it to me. It's when a kid, um, you know, maybe they don't have enough money on their card. The school never refuses the meal, but they will kind of accumulate a balance um, for the parent to pay off later. And those balances can accumulate and then they can they pay them off at some other point. And so I was like, wow, I'd never heard of that. Reach out to Holt uh, as uh, the place that I graduated from, and they didn't have any student lunch debt. So reached out to Mason. The uh, principal responded, principal or superintendent responded in a little while, said it was like $1,500. So I just said, okay, I'm going to come out and bring a check just to pay it off myself. And I reached out to Matt Gillick because he actually graduated from Mason and was a star soccer player there. And um, he said, wait, like I want in, uh, I want to help out with this and why don't we do it through Saddleback? And so I went out there with a check from Saddleback now and like the teachers were coming out and saying thank you and like hugging me and, wow. and I had no idea. And they're like, this actually has a huge impact on parents and kids here. And this, this means a lot. And I was wow. So then they took a picture of me, gave me a bulldog mask <laughs> and, and it kind of went viral. And then we're like, yeah, okay, this is what we did. And um, we said, if anybody else wants to do it, here's how you can do it. And then uh, Spear Electric, I think, um, out there in DeWitt was the first one to say, hey, we want in. How do we do this? Um, uh, Darren Hunt out at uh, uh, a restaurant up in, uh, is it Big Boy? Or I oh, feel so terrible because I always get his restaurant name wrong. Um, but he stepped up and he did one. And then a bunch of the community, I think we ended up paying off the student lunch debt at like eight school districts in the wow, area. That's insane. And it was amazing. And and the reason I'm glad you brought that up is because that was what we were that that was the thing that we were hoping for was mm -hmm. the idea that we could influence others to to step up and and do that as well. Right. It's a small cost. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a very small cost. Yeah. And, and it, it had great. a profound in, impact on the community. I was surprised at how many parents reached out and said, and told us stories about how like, you know, this had, this has been hanging over their head for a long time. And, wow. you know, it was a big, big help. I mean, I think we heard from like 14 or 15 parents just from the Mason school district that it impacted them specifically that wow. they'd reached out to us about it. And that what's crazy about that is like, I mean, some people will obviously be negative and be like, well, they just did it because they want people to think highly of them. But the yeah. thing is, is like now you I mean, it's almost like advertisement in a way. Now people sure. respect your business and they're going to totally. they're going to be willing to come to your business and and buy from you because you help them out at some point. One hundred percent. One hundred percent that it's it, it is not it is not lost on me that this benefits Saddleback Barbecue. There's, mm -hmm. there's no question. And I'm, we've been completely transparent about that. And we've told everybody about that. 
But here's the question that I have for those people is that we know certainly that customers want to support businesses that do good in the community. Mm-hmm. They, that is who they want to support. But then at the same time, these, these people that are critical of the, us giving and talking about it, they don't want us to talk about it. <laughs> well, then how are the customers going to know that we're doing good in the community if we right. don't talk about it? Right. It, I mean, there's, and there's then a how conflict does, there. How does, it, how does it influence other people to want to also give back to the community? That's exactly because, right. I mean, it's, it's a chain reaction. Somebody sees that and they're like, oh, I could do that. That's right. I think yeah. back to when I was trying to learn how to be a better parent, um, when I was getting ready to, now we have a five-year-old, but you know, the, it, the research kind of suggests that not much of the stuff that we do as parents really has much impact. <laughs> the best thing that we can do is give them a great example to look up to. You know, it's not so much the stuff that we're trying to instill, you know, forcefully instill in our children. It's more so if we show them a good example, that is what they're generally going to emulate. You right. Know? So if yeah. we want to raise healthy kids, then show be a healthy adult. You know, yeah. if we want to raise a kid that reads a lot, we'll read a lot ourselves. If we want, you know, all these things really work. Well, it's the same thing in business. We want to show an example of how a business can do something where hopefully it helps the business, but it also helps the community. Right. And I yeah. don't see who it harms. I really, I don't see I, the critics that come out on this. Who is being harmed? Please just answer me that. <laughs> who is being harmed by us paying off the student lunch debt in Mason school district? Who's being right. harmed by that? Right. Nobody. I don't Nobody. think so. Nobody's being harmed. Yeah. It's silly to me. It's an ego thing, right? People just don't want to see somebody else doing something positive that benefits somebody else. It's the zero sum mentality. Because if it was them, they would be tooting their own horn. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what other people would do. I mean, who does? I mean, yeah, whatever. That's a yeah. whole nother topic. Yeah. But what I wanted to get into, you brought up how like your kids see you and emulate the things that you do. They want to be like you. That's the greatest impact that you can have as a parent. And I mean, my, my son, he's like my little buddy. He's always with me, always wanting to do th- things that I'm doing. He's always working out when I'm working out, which is something that uh, we've had this gym ever since I think my, ever, well, ever since we bought the house. That's a great we, gym. We've had it. Thank you. Yeah. We've had that gym and it's just grown over the years, but that's something that my kids have grown up seeing. So, and they see us using it almost daily. And so now it's, it's a habit for them. It's, right. it's something that it's instilled in them like, oh, you need to take care of your health. We need to be active. Yep. And so for you, somebody who kind of had like this path of like, I guess, least resistance for a while and then changing yep. your habits, what kind of impact has that had on your, on your kid and, and you being a parent? Wow. That's a great question. Um, when, that, when that's, did, a, that's a great question. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't thought about. I hope that it's had a re- really positive impact. Um, I I haven't thought about that enough. I, I probably should think about that more. You know, what one of the things that I uh, about a year and a half ago I started rating myself uh, on like twenty different metrics every day, and one of those metrics is uh, do I wake up and see my son every single day and you know, before I would sleep in and I would miss him waking up. And I, you know, my wife really took on that responsibility. 
And I, I missed out on that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was neglectful. Uh, I think people can follow my social media to see how much mm. I hang out with my kid. It's a, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I probably overshare that. And then we were also, I guess, fortunate during COVID where we were just together because the daycares were closed and, and we spent a lot of time at the parks. And so we spent a ton of time together, but yeah, he probably wasn't learning great. He wasn't seeing a great example from me before the change. He, he just, he probably wasn't. I mean, I don't, and the thing is like, I'm sure like as being a parent, it's probably difficult to admit that you were kind of, um, being uh neglectful in that in that aspect like that the fact that you weren't there you probably feel like you weren't there but he probably will recognize the change that you made and be like well my dad used to do this if Maybe. even if he remembers he's five yeah it might be so it might be too a little too, i hope he's a little too young you know and the other thing we're so fortunate to have so i mean Lakin and I don't have to raise Lane at all because he's got so many grandparents and he's the only grandkid on both sides. Wow. So any kid. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> he gets, Oh man, he said something yesterday. I wish I could remember it exactly, but it was basically like he was going to hang out with his grandma and he's like, yeah, I get to watch everything that I want on TV because they don't know my rules. They don't, <laughs> they don't, they don't know my rules at all. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, he he's surrounded by so much love. He's got grandparents on yeah. all sides. He's got uh, uncles too. And so um, I hope that he didn't miss out anything. I hope he was too young. I hope that, you know, and, and I think I'm being probably, and I, I am very critical of myself. Um, I hope that I'm being too critical of myself. Mm. Well, I think it's important. I mean, if he, I think he'll see the changes and that's kind of the point I was getting at. Like with my kids, they've seen this process of like, oh, okay, this is what we do. And right. so him seeing you change your life and then now it's just a habit, right? Like you just doing uh, the things that you've kind of learned over the last, was it year or two years? Uh, when did so the year like, of the office start? Two uh, years ago? March, 2022. Okay. Yeah. And so, so coming up on two years here. So, you know, he'll see that you've built these habits and then hopefully they, they get instilled in him as well. Yeah. Like one of the uh, things that I love is when I'll, I'll come in from a run and he'll go, dad, did you get in your 5k today? <laughs> uh, and yeah, he just, he gets it now. And, yep. oh, oh man, you'll love this too. He'll, he'll say, who's going to carry the boats and the logs <laughs> <laughs> from David Goggins. And, yeah, so yeah, he, he loves that stuff. And then his uncle Scott is, he, he's jacked he's just he's uh always worked out he was a very former cool. mma fighter oh, wow. too and so he looks up to scott in that that's sense very too. cool yeah now i feel like i'm all over the place with this interview um oh. like you're just such an interesting person so i, I like we, Whoa, we touch here we touch here but i kind of want to get into um what led into the year of the opposite and uh, obviously you, you you just did not have healthy uh healthy lifestyle habits or anything yeah but what was the defining factors for you to do the year of the opposite my friend joe st Clair died in uh, february of 2022 uh he, he died of alcoholism uh, had a heart attack i struggled with some guilt um because i we never we never really i never really confronted him and told him how i felt um and i hadn't had anybody close to me die that that wasn't um, kind of natural causes or like old age mm -hmm. so it was a new thing for me it sent me into depression for the first time 
And then five months after that, Matt Hill, the you know my friend since I was two, uh, and the founder of Liquid Web, he passed away and had a heart attack. And we didn't know why because the autopsy uh, took six months in L.A. And then 10 days after that, Lakin's cousin, my wife's cousin, uh, Tyler Blakesley, who was a teacher in town um, and just a great guy and a band guy and somebody that I loved his bands even before I knew Lakin. Uh, he got hit by a door in Grand Rapids and died tragically. And it just sent me into this tailspin of feeling really depressed and sad. And I just kept waking up sad. And I'm a big fan of Seinfeld. And there's an uh, an episode where George does the opposite of everything. And I also came across this, this uh, YouTube video of a general that was talking about, well, if you want to change your life, just start by making your bed. So I just decided, all right. I wasn't waking up early before this. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to make the bed and I'm just going to start doing the opposite of what I've been doing. If every day I keep waking up sad, there's no logical reason for it. I mean, obviously I had grief, but there's no logical reason in the sense that, like you said, like my, my financial stuff is taken care of my, I'm surrounded by a lot of love. There's no logical reason for me to be depressed. Well, Let's change some things. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. You got to change that. Yeah. And so I just started doing the opposite and started with uh, waking up. That's Then I'm like, well, I've never been able to floss. And every six months, uh, the hygienist beats me up about it. <laughs> so let's start there. And then, well, let's see if I can do a seven-minute workout. Well, this, that, let's see if we can give up drinking for a while. And then, you know, it just led to let's see if I can do this for a whole year. And it worked. Um, within five months, I had completely cured my depression. Uh, I, I forget exactly how long it was, but before I was on uh, medication for high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high cholesterol. And I think it was like six months, maybe a little bit longer. Um, my doctors cleared me to get off of everything. And I was on those for like eight or nine years. Wow. So it was a long time. And I'm so young too. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all lifestyle induced. I mean, we, we do have a bit of history in our family mm -hmm. of it, but it, it wasn't that, I mean, it was just, I was lethargic. I was, uh, I was living a life of comfort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's easy to do when you're, when you have the, the need or the ability to. Yeah. 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 It, it's kind of the default path, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, um, yeah, if you can just eat whatever you want and not even really think about it and and drink whenever you want and not have to worry about going to work on Monday and you can drink on Monday night, why not? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it got bad. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. I, 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 and that's the thing. Like, I think about it like if I were in your position, where would I be? And I probably would be in the same spot because I don't know. Um, you are very disciplined. You <laughs> have a different, you're, I, I mean, it's, I look up to your discipline and how you, you push yourself. And I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't think you'd have that same problem. I, maybe not now, but if I was younger, um, maybe a couple of years ago, um, I probably would have because now, like if I don't work out for a few days, I feel like a piece of shit. I'm like, Oh man, like I, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. But Absolutely. That's the thing about discipline though. It's uh, it's all mental. I mean, if you can push it and that, this, I, I equate it to running. So like I have a friend who was trained, he runs all these half marathons 
all the time. And I'm like, dude, just run a full marathon. Like he's never run a full marathon, but he's done half marathons all year long. Like every month he'll do one half marathon, which is impressive. Wow. But um, like an official half marathon, like an actual race. Um, It's impressive. But I'm like, dude, if you can do a half marathon, you can run a full marathon. Because once you learn how to run 10 miles, then you can just you can run for however long. I mean, yes, it's all mental at that point. It really is. Hmm. And I know that because I did a, a 50 mile ultra ultra run yeah that was amazing and uh, i also did a marathon and so the thing is like once you get past the training portion once you get past of being in running shape then you can just run it's all mental i have to take your word for that because i haven't done that yet who's gonna carry the boats i know I, I, <laughs> I've, I've only done the half marathon just i think the the furthest that i've run is 15 miles okay uh, that, that's as far as i've that's as far as I've gone. So, I mean, the thing is too, is like, you got to take into account like diet, like what are you eating before you run? Um, that's going to fuel you for the run. And then also having things with you that you can take like gels and, and whatnot, because uh, your body will cramp up and all that stuff. Too. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about that. And actually in a couple of weeks, <clears throat> I'm heading out to uh, West Virginia. Um, one of our friends, uh, Matt and Alyssa, Alyssa is running a hundred mile run. <sighs> out in is it two or three rivers gorge i forget and and so we're heading out there and she gave me the honor of asking if i would pace her so i'm doing eight to ten miles pacing her in a couple of weeks very cool that's gonna be cool but she's doing the hundred miler that's an ultra run yeah that's insane yeah she's she's shooting for like 25 hours or something like that i think she has 36 hours to complete it in something that's insane yeah and i think there's like a 2500 foot elevation change oh my gosh that's that's kind of scaring me so that's why like i i did my four miles today i'm trying mm-hmm. to train up because i'm worried that i mean she's super fast she did the ba- boston marathon last wow. year and she's doing it again that's cool and i i, I don't really run with people or I, the races like mm-hmm. competitive races don't really give me energy i really just like running because the mental uh, you know uh challenging myself kind of thing but that's the thing I like about running. Um, like if you do a like a marathon or something, you're not really racing with like against people. You're run, you're racing against yourself. Yeah. And that's one thing. Uh, this was the actual this last marathon I did was the actual uh, was my first actual marathon, um, like official marathon. And it was a lot harder than, you know, I had trained for. But it, it, towards the end, it was a lot harder than I anticipated. Mm. My body was cramping up. Um, but the thing is, is there was a lady that was in front of me and I, I knew that if I could keep pace with her the whole time, I'll be fine because like I was pretty much running the same speed. Well, then we got to a, an aid station and I caught up with her. And so now we're running side by side and we're just talking the last two miles. We just talked the whole time. I got her whole life story within like a two mile run. Yeah. And, uh, it was something that like, there's a sense of camaraderie, but like every time you run around. It doesn't matter. People are cheering for you because they're like, they just want to see you do good. So it's not like you're competing against all these other people. You're competing with each other against yourself. That's cool. I got to, I got to do one. I've done. I I highly recommend you do. Yeah. I've done the autumn classic around the lake. And then I'm, I'm doing the 5k playmakers has one up at uncle John's. Oh yeah. Do that one. Um, and then, oh yeah. Ellie's race. Uh, oh, that's why I wore this too. Uh, so (laughs) Ellie's place I'm on the board of. And this is one of the best nonprofits in the area. They are dedicated to the idea that no child should grieve alone. Mm-hmm. So a kid that loses a parent, 
they give them a place to come and share their experience with others and talk about it in a safe space with people that have went through it before and counselors and they get to do one day a week and they go for a long time. And Ellie's place right now is serving like 250 individuals in the Lansing area. And oh, there's that many just, kids that lose their parents. Oh my, yeah. It's, it's, um, is there, I believe it's it? 8,000 a year in just in the greater Lansing area. Wow. And so I, I believe, uh, don't quote me on these numbers, but I believe we serve about 2000 a year and we're trying to get up to the full 2000 that we can. Wow. And you said you're on the board for it. Yes, I am. Wow. Yeah. It's a great honor. Great honor. That is awesome. That's, that's crazy. I didn't realize that it, it is. Oh, it, you should come out with me sometime and tour the place. This facility. Yeah, I'd love to that they have made is amazing. Is and that near Sparrow? It's um kind of by Capital City Barbecue. Okay. Actually. It's out there on Saginaw. Okay. Um by the old hospital that was on Saginaw. I okay. forget what it's called now. Yeah. I think it used to be Ingham Regional. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to check that place out. Yeah, please, please come out, especially with your story and everything. You know, it it was it was amazing. I mean it you know it's got all these big pillows and and, and it's just great. And they serve kids of different ages too. So, I mean, some of these kids are really young and they're dealing with this loss. And then some of them are in high school and middle school and they're That's dealing so with this and, and they don't have, you know, they can't talk to it to other kids at school because they don't mm -hmm. get it. Yeah. And so this gives them a space to come in and talk to people that have went through this exact same or a very similar experience, you know, maybe three years ago. Mm -hmm. And they too may have went through the Ellie's place experience and now they get to share that experience with somebody that's going through it. And it helps. I, I think it helps both sides too, where they can talk to somebody else that understands what they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and that's something that that's actually a beautiful thing because um, I was in foster care yeah. and when I went into foster care, it's like experiencing a loss of a parent. And so I was, I was a mama's boy. And when I was taken away, I didn't have that anymore. Yeah. And so now I don't have this parent that I was so dependent on and now I have to learn this whole new environment. So I felt like I lost, like had the sense of loss. And I don't know if it's equivalent to knowing that somebody died. I, I have never experienced a parent dying, but it's, I mean, I would assume it's similar as a kid when you don't have that yeah, parent there anymore. For sure. And something like that, I think I could have benefited from tremendously. Yeah. And, and, you know, who knows about comparisons, but, I think in some ways it could be, you know, even more challenging. You know, it, who knows about comparisons? Who, who, right. who even cares about comparisons? No, it's just but, the idea that you lose a parent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, your story is just so inspirational of what you've been able to overcome. And so thanks for doing this and thanks for sharing your story with others. Absolutely. And it's it's very similar to what Ellie's Place does, right? You're, you're, yeah. you're telling your story and you're allowing other people to tell your, their story so that they feel like they're not alone. Right. No. Yeah. They yeah. Know. And that's the important thing about, um, I mean, trauma, trauma is so bad. I mean, it's terrible for people to go through and especially as a young person, because you can allow a moment like that when somebody dies to define your whole future. I mean, that one incident can literally change how a young person views the world and, and their future, how they're going to, where they're going to go in life. Definitely. I mean, and that's one thing that, um, I've always purposely tried to do the opposite of, um, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I was, um, 
I was always told because you're a, you're in foster care, you're never going to make anything of yourself. Literally, it was told that from my adopted mom that you're never going to make anything of yourself. You're going to be a piece of shit for the rest of your life. And so I'd always try to do the opposite because I didn't want I didn't want her to be right. Right. But like for a lot of people, their circumstances when they're given those circumstances, they just they fall into this cycle of life and then they end up in in jail or they end up in drugs and because just because of the trauma they went through. And they don't have the Certainly. the mental fortitude to just like get themselves out of it. Right. And so if they can have the help at a very young age, I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. When I, one of the activities that they do at Ellie's place, um, they give them a mask. And apparently this is an activity that they've, they've done uh, in other places too, but they give a mask and they say on the outside of the mask, um, put words or draw pictures of what you're showing to everybody else. And then on the inside, show what it's like actually inside your own brain, what you're going through. And I picked up one and on the outside, it was, you know, beautiful and happy and uh, sun and, you know, sunshine. And on the inside, it was just dark rain clouds. Oh and and, I, and it, I just broke down crying. Like I, I just can't imagine. And it was a, it was a second grader that had oh, done wow. that and I just couldn't even imagine. And then they, they write these letters and hang them on the wall. And, you know, one of the little girls had written a letter that said, uh, mom, I hate you for dying on me. Oh, you know? it was just, that's so you. And, and I mean, thing that place, I am so ashamed that I knew the name Ellie's place. We yeah. had catered for Ellie's place. I didn't know what they actually did wow. until Christine reached out and asked me to join the board because of, um, because of my friend. Um, oh my goodness. I'm br blanking on his name right now <laughs> that actually uh, suggested uh, or, or, or asked me to be on the board. Um, but yeah, I'm ashamed that I didn't know because that, that organization is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh. And they're uh, for anybody that's looking to donate. One of the things that I'm, I really look at is there's a tool called charity explorer where you can see how efficient a mm. charity actually spends their money and deploys oh, wow. it. They're incredibly, incredibly efficient. When you donate money to Ellie's place, it is going to programming. It is actually going to help people. Wow. It's not just going to bloated CEO salaries, right? And right. Advertising and all Houses. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's so, it, it's so incredibly capital efficient. That's awesome. amazing. Yeah, I mean, we can wrap this up here soon. We're over an hour in, but I got um, I got as long as you want. All right, let's go for another hour. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Um, I had a girl on. Her name's Katie. Uh, I can't remember her last name. Anyway, she's a like a life coach or like a coach now. Oh, nice. And like a healing trauma coach. And one thing that she came on, told her story, and her um, actually her sister came on too, and I'll talk about her in a second. But she came on to share about how her mom committed suicide, and they found her. And so when the, she was like, I think in middle school or like elementary school or something like that. And, and she talked about the impacts of that. And so like, it's not, sometimes it's not just like what it's like to lose a parent. It's also the circumstances around it too, because now you're wondering as a child, like, why did she do this? Did she do it? Cause she didn't, she hated me. Like why, you know, and it, 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 it can ruin your life. Like she talked about how, you know, it put her on this spiral effect for the rest of her adulthood until like the last few years where she of course i mean of course it would that's yeah. just god it's terrible um and then her sister uh 
Jennifer. She started a, I think it's a nonprofit. It's called, um, oh, I can't remember, um, Positive Somebody. It's a, it, it, I think it's a nonprofit where they uh, put together these care packages for kids. I think they actually lost a parent or, or maybe they're going through trauma and they work through schools. So they go to all the local schools in the area and they give them these bags of stuff that help them like, I don't know if they have like fidget spinners and some like rocks and uh, they have like quotes on them and um, all these different things that help with uh, uh, like trauma, like trauma healing. So, mm. yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah. awesome that they do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Tell me your story. Oh boy. <laughs> My whole story. Give me the, I, the rundown. I, well, I want people to know what you went through and why you do and why it's called rising above. Mm. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Florida. Um, my dad is my, my biological dad is a illegal immigrant. Met my mom, got, pre gave her, got, pre she got pregnant and then had my brother. He's a year older than me. And then had me a year later. Um, he was extremely abusive to my mom and like almost killed her at one point. So she left him, met my stepdad. Were you, were you seeing the abuse? Uh, I, I don't know. See, and that's the thing. That's a weird thing about your, the mind because I was like three, I think when we left, left him. And so like, I remember things, but I also don't know if it's like implanted, implanted memories. Right. Yeah, so yeah. like I've heard things throughout the years and I, I don't know if it's just something that I've pictured and then yeah. I have that memory now. Yeah. But um, like what had happened, I think that almost killed her was that um, she was, I don't know what they were fighting about, but she, he grabbed her by the hair and he was like dragging her down the street in, in a car. Like he was in the car and she was outside of the car. Oh my God. And she ended up in the hospital and almost died. And so after that, she left him. Um, but then she met my stepdad and he was extremely abusive to my brother, Michael beat him from the back of his neck all the way down to his ankles. And he was black and blue. He skips was it from the neck so that it wouldn't be seen. No, he was just angry. We were, <laughs> my brother, Michael and I were fighting. Um, we had like bunk beds and he wanted to sleep on the top. I want to sleep on the bottom, whatever it As was. Kids do. Yeah. And so we were fighting and he went in there cause we were fighting and just started beat, beating him. And that's the thing about my brother. He would always take the blame for things. So I didn't, I didn't get beat. Wow. And, uh, we talk about that in, in the very first episode of the podcast. And, um, so he took the beating and he just, it just happened to be on his back. And so he missed school for a few weeks and then finally a few weeks. Yeah. He was black and blue for weeks. And finally a friend of the family was like, you need to report this to the police. Told my mom, you need to report this to the police. If you don't, I'm going to, and they're going to take your kids. And so my mom went and reported it and they were like, yeah, if you don't leave him now, we're going to arrest him tonight. If you don't leave him now and go like, like where you have family, uh, stay with your family. Uh, we're going to take your kids too. So um, we had family in Michigan. And so that night we packed up the van. She had $400 to her name and four kids, two under five. Uh, my, my brother was, I think two or three. My sister was a newborn and my brother, Michael was nine. I was eight. And so we came to Michigan and didn't really have anywhere to stay. We lived in a homeless shelter, um, in Fowler near St. John's, uh, eventually got kicked out of there. Uh, I'm assuming because my mom wasn't making uh, any headway 
uh, she had four kids and I don't know how many, how much resources she had that could help her like get a job and daycare and all that stuff. But I, I don't know. Um, so then we were homeless cause we got kicked out, um, came to Lansing. We were eating at the homeless shelter every single night. Uh, that was our only meal every day. And, uh, the red cross put us up in a hotel that is no longer there. It's like, it was near down by the towers, uh, downtown. And, uh, my brother, Michael and I started going to school in Lansing, uh, also that school Moores river elementary or whatever. I think it's now closed, but yeah, we went to school there and, um, Again, we were homeless, didn't eat, we couldn't eat anything all day until we went to the homeless shelter every night. And, I, and that's a funny thing. I tell this all the time, but it was funny, like going to the homeless shelter and seeing all these homeless people, like shaggy beards, like raggedy clothes, and you're like thinking, man, these people are so unfortunate. Meanwhile, there's this young mom out there with four kids. And that's probably one of the, the most like, you know, unfortunate situations. Yeah. And, but you know, I was a kid. I just thought it was adventurous. I'm like, I've always kind of been that, that kind of didn't know anything different. Yeah, didn't know anything yeah. different. Like this is, this is life. Right. And so, uh, I didn't even really like consider how stressful that could be on her because I couldn't even imagine being in that position. Like now with kids, I mean, she was 28 years old when she lost us and I'm 30. So I can't even imagine like what kind of impact that would have on me. Um, so, uh, after doing that for like a month, uh, uh, social services showed up pulled my brother and I out of school and we went to into foster care that night. Um, and I just remember thinking like, I don't know what's going to happen. Scared, you know, just had no idea. Um, met our new foster parents. I, I was placed in a home with my brother, Joseph, my younger brother, and, uh, we lived out in Charlotte. And so that's where I grew up until I was 17. But that's also a whole nother part of the story because the home that I grew up in was extremely abusive. Um, that was my foster home. And then they chose to adopt us after that. But they only wanted, my adopted mom only wanted to adopt us. My dad didn't want to adopt us. Uh, he, he didn't want to adopt anybody because he knew how, how bad the situation was in the house. And he, he didn't want us to have to grow up in that situation. Um, he also talks about that on the, he was on the podcast too. Um, but I was told that I, we were only adopted because my adopted mom wanted my brother. And so she had to adopt us both in order to get him. And so, um, she had told me, you know, several times, uh, she was like, if you don't, uh, if you don't, if you say you don't want to be adopted, then they're going to place you somewhere else in a different home away from him. And so it kind of like put the fear in me that like, I, I need to, just say I need to be adopted so that I'm, I'm with him so I can protect him. And so, yeah, then we were adopted and then that's when things got terrible. Uh, she was extremely abusive. Um, she was abusive before that, but it just got way worse. Um, physically, uh, my adopted dad ended up uh, calling the police on her at one point and she was arrested for abusing me. Um, she had kicked me in the stomach and then threw me into a refrigerator. Um, and then that kind of behavior just continued until I until I was like 17, I started dating a girl and they didn't, they didn't approve of her at all. Um, we were, we grew up in church and so, uh, like obviously like marital sex and all that stuff is like a no, no. And, um, and that's the thing too, like going to church, it was like kind of like my refuge away from all of that stuff. Um, every time I went to church, like I was involved in like the orchestra, I, I play trumpet 
So I was in, I was in the orchestra, I was in the choir. I was like, getting ready to do a sermon. I was uh, like learning how to preach so that uh, it, was, it was like a youth service. Hmm. And every year the youth would put on a service, a whole service, like the music, they would control everything. And I was going to do the preaching. And then I started dating this girl and they didn't approve. And they went and told the church that I was having premarital sex. And so they kicked me out of everything that I was doing. They told me I couldn't do it anymore. Oh, man. And so from that point on, I'm like, well, what's the purpose of coming to church? I mean, this is where I, this is where I, this is my escape from, from life. And so I just stopped going. I would, I would wake up every Sunday uh, before everybody else got up and I would just go to work. I worked at McDonald's at the time. I was still in high school. And so I would just go to work and, and it didn't matter if I actually had to work or not. I would just go there and I, I had a laptop that my girlfriend's uh, dad bought me for school because that was another thing. I wasn't allowed to use the computer at home. I wasn't allowed to do my laundry. I wasn't allowed to do anything there anymore. And I would get locked out till 11 o'clock at night, every single night. I get locked out, locked out of the house. My dad was on second shift and my mom uh, didn't want to deal with me anymore. And I, and that's, that's the thing. Like I say, she didn't want to deal with me. Like I was causing problems. I wasn't causing any problems. I was literally just living life. And like doing my thing like as a teenager normal t- teenager things and um yeah it, she I don't, that's a whole other thing but yeah i would get locked out of the house every single night Jeez. and so um so yeah i would you know my my girlfriend's dad bought me this laptop to do my schoolwork on i would go to mcdonald's do school and then or if i would work if i had to work and then um, eventually it just got worse and worse. Uh, I could do less and less at the house and uh, because I wasn't given in to not being able to date this girl. I really loved her and was my first girlfriend. And so um, eventually one night I was at her house and I was waiting to go home. And my friend called me and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm at my girlfriend's house. Explain to him the situation. And he's like, he's like, don't you don't need to live like that. He's like, come live with me. He's like, we'll take care of you. He's like, let me check with my mom first. But we'll take care of you. And so he calls me back and he's like, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of you. Like, come live with us. I'll come get you right now. And wow. so I went home. I literally grabbed a clothes, like a, just a basket of clothes and my school books and like my laptop and a couple other things. And I just started walking up the stairs, left everything else, pictures, like everything. And my dad had just gotten home and he's like, Hey, uh, where are you going? And I was like, I'm, I'm leaving. He's like, where? And I'm like, I'm, I'm moving out. I'm, I'm done. And I, I should also say that I was so stressed out at this point. I had bald spots in the back of my head. Like that were like quarter size. I had three of them. They were giant. And, um, and he's like, well, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And then I left and, uh, I didn't go, I didn't go back for a long time. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, two months after moving out, my hair grew back. I was a lot less stressed and, um, scared didn't know what life would have in store for me. I, I thought at that moment, I remember that night when I moved out, I was laying in my friend, my bed, my friend's bed. And I just cried because I'm like, they're going to be right about how I'm going to make nothing of myself. And right. this is it. But you this internalized all those yeah. things that you've been told for so long. Right. And yeah. so eventually I just, you know, I was like, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And so it's just been a constant grind of like trying to get better jobs. And that's the thing too. Like I wanted to go at that time. I wanted to go to be a preacher at a, uh, I was going to go to a Christian college and, and become a preacher. Like, that's what I really wanted to do. But then that whole thing, I was just like, well, that's not going to happen now. Mm-hmm. And so I never even went to college. Um, and I, I figured I would never make anything of myself. I would just be working these dead end jobs and, and, and who knows what, like I figured I'd just scrape by. And 
And that's what I did for a long time. Um, I had girlfriends, moms that helped me out. Like one of my girlfriends, mom, she was a, an administrator at a nursing home in Charlotte. And she, so she made decent money. And so she would pay my bills for me. And I just remember her telling me like, if you ever get a chance, pay it forward. And so that's always stuck with me. And so now I pay it forward because I'm in a lot better situation now than I ever could imagine. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. It's just like that whole, that whole process that all that trauma, all the things that I've gone through and the things that I was told that I couldn't be, I've always became, I've, I've become extremely disciplined. Uh, most people are not disciplined today. I mean, especially today, life is so easy mm -hmm. and it's so easy to just say, I don't want to do something, but you got to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've, I've always tried to break down those barriers. If there was something that I couldn't do, I just, I just did it. And I think that's played into my discipline a lot. Um, and so, and then it's kind of like doing the year of the opposite, you know, like you, you, you do something that you don't typically do, but you're going to do it anyways and you achieve it. And yeah, that's actually absolutely right. And so, you know, like for me, life has been like this constant battle of just things going bad. It seems like like situations in life where it could, it could ruin your life essentially. Like you could allow the situations you've gone through to ruin your life. And, you know, one of the, I guess one of the latest things that happened to me as an adult was I ended up that first girlfriend, I ended up getting her pregnant and didn't realize it. Didn't know until the kid was three years old. And I had kind of assumed it was a possibility um, just because we were together and she was dating somebody else. But I didn't know until he was three. I, her mom ended up, uh, or she ended up doing a DNA test on him. I bought the test, gave it to her, and she did it on on the kid, the grandma, and it came back that he was ninety nine point nine 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 percent mine. And so I hired a lawyer um, to try to establish paternity rights. But in Michigan, uh, you have till the kid is three years old to find out to establish uh, paternity rights. It's a law. Wow. And because there's already an established father in his life who's paying child support, who's been involved in his life. They didn't want to interrupt that. So the judge was like, yeah, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. And so he was like, I want to grant it in your favor. He's like, but I can't. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. Th so then that was like something else that just sent me spiraling. And then I had a friend who committed suicide uh, right after that. And I ended up like, I was in a bad spot mentally. And this is, I was probably like 20. Yeah. When was this? Yeah. I was probably like 24 or something like that. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think my son was born he was born in 2017 so it might have been 18 2018 when it when it happened okay and so i started going to therapy and i'm i've never been one to do therapy i hated therapy um but it helped me it just talk therapy just talking with somebody and then working out is a huge thing for me yeah because if i don't work out that defines my mental state and so yeah me too uh, yeah and so then I just, and then that's the thing too. I doing hard things defines, defines you as a person. It, it defines the way you handle situations. It defines the way you look at situations. It defines how you feel about situations. And so I just started diving into things that I wouldn't typically do kind of like doing the opposite of everything, but yep. I, not necessarily everything. Yeah. Um, so I did that, uh, ultra 50 mile ultra, and it was one of the hardest things that I could ever do. Training for it was hard. Doing the race was hard. I didn't even finish the race. I I was out running on these hills in in uh, like this off road trail for seven hours, over seven hours, 
It was during COVID. Um, so it wasn't an actual official race. I mean, it was a f- official, but you could do it wherever. It was like, a, yep, right. So um, I did it on the trail that it was supposed to be at. And I had never run that course before. And it was brutal. It was it was a off-road biking trail. And it was like almost mountainous terrain. It was it was crazy. So training around here could not have prepared me for that. That makes me concerned for, for you running with that, your friend. <laughs> yeah, makes me concerned too. But um, uh, it was off-road and I, I, I even lost all my toenails. running running that yeah all of them they all fell off and like while you were doing it or after 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 yeah yeah they all fell off but it was one of that's the thing it was one of the hardest things i could have ever done and that's where the thought of starting a podcast came from gotcha Um, i this was 2020 i had started the podcast in january of 21 and so I had been talking with my wife previously, um, like as I was going through the training process and I'm like thinking about like everything I've gone through, how can I help people tell my story? Because I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted my story to be out there, but I never had the time to write a book. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication. And it, obviously that's something that I could, I could do. It, that's just limiting. I'm limiting myself. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm like, how can I, what, what is the most efficient way to get my story out there? I'm like, it would be to do a podcast. And so I've never been one to just barely like hardly do something or like half ass something. So I'm like, if I'm going to do a podcast, I'm going to do it right. So I, I bought all the equipment. I'm like, I'm going to have a studio. Like I'm going to have a Joe Rogan setup. And so that's what I did. I bought all that stuff. And it's kind of a good thing that I did because it's forced me to have to use the, <laughs> use the equipment, use the studio. Cause my wife was not going to be happy if I didn't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, it's, it's something that I've constantly been doing ever since. And it's definitely changed. The process has changed, but, and gotten better. I hope. Yeah. Um, it's a great setup here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but Is yeah, the speaking to other people that are, you know, rising above too, has that helped you and find that there are other people that are going through similar things and I absolutely people's story. And that's the thing. Like it's so, I was telling somebody the other day on a podcast, it's so easy to just be like, oh, I have another podcast. Like I got to talk to somebody else. It's so easy to just do that. Like it, like it's just another person. But the thing is that person's story is so important to them. You have to like sit there and make their story the most important thing that you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the only thing that matters in that moment. And so like sitting down with somebody and having them share their story is a huge honor for me. Cause I'm like, they're, that person's willing to come here and tell me their story. Right. There's nothing special about me. I didn't go to college. I didn't get a, a, a degree in any of this stuff i just figured out how to do it and i'm not even great at it i just do it and that's the thing and um what episode is this how how many have you done this is 159 that's amazing thank you that's amazing yeah i've actually done more i have a lot more to release i've been recording almost every day (laughs) oh right because of the strike yeah 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 wow but yeah i mean it's it's something that I enjoy doing and I enjoy having a platform for people to come on and share their personal stories because that's, that's something I felt. And that's one thing I wanted this podcast to be when I started, I wanted it to be a platform for anybody to just come on and share their story regardless of what it was. And because I felt that I didn't have that, like I didn't have a way to share my story. And I just so desperately wanted people to know because you don't have to let your circumstances define who you are and you can rise above. And so to get to answer your question about the name, 
um, I was at work one day and I'm like sitting there thinking, texting my wife and I'm like, what, what could I call the podcast? Like, I don't, I'm giving her all these different names. She's like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. And so I'm just thinking about like everything I've gone through. How did I get through it? And like, what, what was that process? I was like, well, I, I rose above it. I'm like, ah, rising above with David Hess. Nice. Like that, that works, I guess. And she's like, yeah, I like that. It's really nice. Yeah. But, that's great, man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and it's been a journey. I mean, my whole life, I don't, it, it sounds so sad and I've shared it on other podcasts. I've shared it on my brother's podcast and people always say like, I don't know how you can not hate those people. I don't right. know how you can like go through life and not be angry. Are, are or, you still in touch with them? Yeah. So my adopted dad, him and I have a great relationship now. Really? Yeah. He, he actually got me the job at GM. Does he remember uh, saying uh, don't let the door hit the, hit he, the he does. And I, I talked about it on a podcast, um, like a year ago. And I try not to tell it too much anymore because it, it hurts him to yeah. to hear that he he did that and how it had an impact on me. But he texted me randomly one day and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, like, I am really sorry about that. And that had to mean a lot to you. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, like, I, I should make that clear, too, because him and I had a bad relationship. But then um, even up until when I started working at GM, we were still kind of hashing things out. This was over 10 years ago. I've worked at GM for 10 years. Um he, him and I would be, we were on third shift and we would meet up before work and sit in the parking lot waiting for our shift to uh, start. And we would just talk about everything going on. And um, he apologized over and over and over and over again. He realized like he should have done more. And a, a lot of the things that happened in the home wasn't necessarily on him. It's just the fact that he didn't necessarily do what he should have done to prevent the things that were happening and this was your foster father right not your yes not your biological father correct and what about your biological father and your biological mother mm, uh, so that's another part of the story too of rising above um so when i when i turned 18 i couldn't have any contact with my mom until then the last time i had seen my dad was i was three or four years old you you couldn't have any contact no why, why so is that when you go into the foster care system um the court I think restricts restricts how the parent can engage with with the kids. So like for instance, if I were to have like programs at school, like if I was in a school choir or something or band because I was in band, my mom couldn't come to those events unless it was like negotiated with like the system, like the court system or whatever. Wow. So, and that's another thing. That's Is that, that be the idea because well there's abuse here so we we don't want the child to be exposed to it. I don't know. I don't huh. know. Um, it could be the case, but my mom wasn't abusive. But they, I don't know. That's a whole nother story. But it, but, it, but she was abusive, right? Was was she? That for... She wasn't abusive. My adopted dad was. Oh, okay, okay. Or not adopted dad. My uh, stepdad. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay. And Okay, that's my son. Oh, awesome. Um, awesome. And so, Max, we're in an episode. Stop. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no, no worries <laughs> at all. Oh. Um, we, I, we have been going a while, huh? Awesome. An hour and 26 minutes. Yeah. Uh, what, what was, what was I, what was I talking about? Oh, we were just talking about uh, the adopted. I thought that the biological oh, yeah. mother was um, abusive. Uh, oh yeah. So the, my biological mom wasn't, it was my adopted mom. Okay. Gotcha. And so um, 
so when I went into foster care, she wasn't my biological mom wasn't allowed to have anything to do oh, with us. Right. So the, it was your um your your biological mother's uh boyfriend was the one it was husband. Husband. Yeah. Okay. And then he was the one that was the reason you were removed. Correct. Okay. Got That's right. the, he's the reason why we moved to Michigan. Okay. All right. And he was arrested in Florida. Okay. Um, and then we were placed in foster care. And then when you're placed in foster care, your, your react or your, uh, relationship with your parents are limited. You can't like go do things with them. And it's all based on what the court allows to mm -hmm. like, sometimes when you're in foster care, you can choose to, you can have weekends. Like you can go stay a weekend at your actual parents' house, um, or go on outings or whatever, or sometimes they're supervised. With us, it was never that. We never had that. We would always have to go to St. Vincent's um, here in Lansing, and then we would have a like a monitored uh, hour session with my mom. Really, once a week. Wow, how was that? I mean, that seems it's like hard. Yeah, you're just forcing in your whole time with your mother. Yeah, that one hour with four kids. Four kids. And that's a thing too. And I, I talk about this a lot because I don't think the system, at least my mom's system, the system that we had, I don't think it was set up fairly because like, how can you be a parent in one hour? And then they want you to demonstrate in that hour that you can be a good parent. But how are you going to manage four kids that are just so excited to see you? They're crazy. They want you to keep them calm and quiet. And they, they, they didn't want her to give like they didn't want her to give us snacks like oh and it's supervised too it's supervised somebody's like watching outside of a door so you, you know you're being watched and it's yeah i don't know it's it it's a hard situation right. and i get why they would do it because um you know some people are just abusive and they got to keep an eye on them but hmm. i don't know it was it was a hard hard it was hard as a, as a kid you know knowing that i could only see my mom for one hour once a week and and where are your biological mother and father now so when i turned 18 i i put all my time i had I had a job at the nursing home that my girlfriend's mom worked at and it was safety sitting they called it safety sitting so i'd watch this resident for i would just sit in a chair and watch him make sure he didn't fall and whatever and i worked the night shift so i would just sit there on the laptop or on a tablet and i just started searching the internet one day for names and this was like back in 2012 or 13 and so it was a lot more like data was, wasn't as much, there wasn't as much data out there at that time, especially for somebody who wasn't necessarily on the internet that much. And so I just started searching names that I knew of, you know, that I knew. And, um, I came across some court records from Florida, um, with my mom and my stepdad. And then I found my, uh, aunt, um, who lived in Michigan when we went into foster care, but then she had moved to Virginia. And I'm like, this kind of looks like what my aunt looked like. I don't know if it's her, so I just sent a message message to her and I'm like, hey, my name's David. I'm looking for my mom. Uh, this is her name. Um, if you know her, let me know. If not, then I'm sorry to bother you. And then she sent me a message and she's like, oh my gosh, we've been looking for you forever. Like, so happy to see, you know, like meet you. And she put me in contact with my mom that day. And then uh, we eventually met up with her. But we, we kind of have a relationship now, but she still lives in Michigan. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What about your father? So my adopt or my my biological dad, he um he was deported back to Honduras uh, when I was like three or four, came back illegally. Um, and I think it's, he's been back here since 07. He still lives in Florida. But with him, I did a 23andMe. My wife bought me a 23andMe for my birthday. Uh, I think it was 
it was like that year that everything was going bad for me. And I just wanted to know, I wanted to know like my history. I couldn't answer any health questions when I went to a doctor. Right. I couldn't yeah. give them Medical any history. Yeah. I couldn't give them anything. I'm yeah. like, I don't know. And so I wanted to know. And so I did the 23 me got the health thing. And then I had a ping for my um, second cousin on my dad's side, like popped up on 23 me. Like you have a new relative wow. and she had just done 23 me. And so I contacted her. I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for my dad. This is his name. Do you know anything about him? And she's like, uh, that's my mom's side of the family's last name. I can talk to her and see if she knows anything. She talks to her, calls me the next day. She's like, I need your number. I need to, I need to talk to you. She talks to me. She's like, I know we know where your dad is and he's been looking for you for over 20 years. And, um, yeah, so then they put me in contact with him and we, I ended up going down to Florida that year. Uh, my whole family and we met the whole family and everything and my her, my so her mom is my first cousin um and so i was able to meet her i i drove down to south carolina that's where they live and i met that their whole family and then drove down to florida and met my dad and, wow yeah and he's been up a couple times since but really yeah does he have other kids now yes yeah he has um he has a whole family in honduras and then he had two sons in florida Oh wow! Yeah, and they're older. They're a than lot us. of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Typical Hispanic family. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I, I, I didn't. I want a lot of kids now. Really? I do. You could have more. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, my fingers crossed. Do you think you could ever adopt? We've thought about it. Yeah, we don't. We haven't went down the process of educating ourselves about it. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, we've we're it's definitely a possibility. We Lakin and I have talked about it many times. I think you definitely consider it. I think you could do it. I mean, you, you're a real compassionate and like thought out person, and you care about people. I appreciate you saying. So that. I think that I think if you do choose to do that, I think that a, some young person, some young child, could benefit greatly from it. I appreciate you saying that. Do you do you stay in touch with the? Like the foster system is something I'm very ignorant about. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how it works. I don't know. Like, do you, are you in, you know, it, you've, you've availed yourself of all these resources with the, you know, the St. Vincent's and the foster system. Like, are you now it, that you're established and are you in touch with them or do you know kind of what's going on and know what's, you know, the issues that are going on with the foster system and. I know that one of their greatest issues is that they don't have resources. Um, and it's hard. I had, like I had a lady on the other day and she was a, uh, she, she was a social worker um, here in Lansing. And she was saying that one of the biggest things is resources. And also they get burned out so quickly and because they don't have resources, they have this huge caseload of all these different kids and paperwork. And then they also got to do the field work and it's so stressful. And so, the turnover rate for them is extremely high. And so um, I personally don't have anything to do with the foster care system. Um, I, by doing this podcast, I wanted to actually talk to people that work in the foster care system. Yeah, you should. And I, I've reached out to people and they won't do the podcast because it's such a close. And this is, this is a thing like most um, foster care agencies get bad rep. They, they, their news coverage on them are not good. I mean, oh. typically it has to do with abuse, neglect, and like usually they didn't do something correctly. And so now the news coverage on them is is not good. And so 
um, they're a little bit more reluctant to do interviews and because they, they're most people want to get this, like, I got you moment. Right. But really, I just want to learn about it. Yeah. And from my understanding, it's actually changed a lot from when I was in um, the way they've changed things. They're a little bit more fair to like the parents and give them more opportunities. And, whereas like my mom didn't feel like she had opportunities and she also didn't feel like she was being treated fairly. Really? Yeah. Does, does your mom feel like you were taken from her? She feels that she, so she, she, she recognizes that she, um, like she couldn't provide like a decent life for us and that we needed better. Um, that the lives that we did end up having, like she is proud that we, we, we had those opportunities. Um, I think what she didn't like was that she felt like she was being ganged up on, um, because my adopted her against the system kind of thing it's her against my adopted mom and then also the the caseworker okay um they she felt that they were just looking for reasons to not like help her out and to make the situation even more difficult and and eventually it led to her just signing off her rights as a parent gotcha so, gotcha wow but i think i honestly i mean that's one of those systems that i think um it, you need good people in that system. Like you need people, especially for foster care parents and like people that want to adopt, you need people that are passionate about it. You need people that do it for the right reasons and people that care genuinely because the pro the problem with that system is people do it for the money. Uh -huh. And I mean, you end up with there's scenarios where people have like dozens of foster kids just, and they're collecting, you know, these checks and these foster kids are living in these terrible situations. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a podcast and stories on YouTube about it. And it's, it's horrific. The different stories out there. It's a whole area that um, I've been so ignorant about. I yeah. just don't know. It's, it, it's one of those systems too. It's like, it, it's so easy to bash a system, right? It's so easy to be like, well, they did this wrong. They did that wrong. Right. But it's also one of those systems too. It's like, what do you do? Yeah. It's like, a very, very complicated issue. It is. I mean, you, you don't want to put a kid in a bad situation. Yeah. You don't want to pull them away from their biological parents. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you, you don't want to give them access to the foster kids, you know, to see their biological parents and then have it result in right. something bad happening. Right. Yeah. It's, but in the same sense, this is in the, we can wrap this up, but um, this is what my issue with the foster care system was. And this is what I, I wanted to talk about on the podcast. And I wanted to interview people because I wanted, I want them to kind of set the record straight with me and like explain to me, like, why did this happen or why, like, how can you prevent something like this from happening? And for me, all the abuse that happened in the home when I was adopted, it was reported there. After I moved out, I found out that over 20 people called CPS and reported the abuse going on. Neighbors called. They have police records of this was when you were in the foster system. This is when I was in. And then after I was adopted, wow, people from the church called um, to report the abuse over 20 people. And they came out like two or three times to investigate. And they didn't even know about my mom going to jail for abusing me. And she still had a license to be a foster parent and still had kids in the home for foster kids in the home. And so I called um, social services and I was like, she went to jail for abusing me and you guys are doing nothing. And so they came out and they investigated it. They asked her, I was there when they, when they came and they asked her, they're like, did you go to jail for abusing a, a child? And um, she was like, I did, but how did you find out about that? 
and they're like, well, somebody reported it. And their response to this whole thing was, if, if it happens again, we'll take your license. And then they left. And then we remained in the home. And then, so at that point, I felt like I had no hope. And that's why I ended up moving out. Wow. And so, um, that was, that's my issue with the foster care system, because I feel like there's more protection for the adopted parents because they don't have an, or not adopted parents for the foster parents, because there's not enough resources. There's not enough people that do it. It's stressful. And so they protect those people more than they're willing to protect the people that actually had their kids taken away. Right. And yeah, I can see, you know, trying to understand where they're coming from is that you know if they don't have anywhere else to put you they could well we have no options here right there's nothing there's nowhere else to go yeah it's like the the least worst option right yeah like yeah oh yeah that's terrible yeah it's terrible and so i've i've actually reached out to like the director of um saint vincent's and no response really yeah I've, I have a friend that is a social worker for Bethany Child Services in Grand Rapids, and she can't come on. She's like, I can't because of, she's like, I would love to. She's like, but I can't because um, we can't do media things. They've been told that they cannot do any media presences or uh, yeah. interviews or anything. I understand that. Yeah. So. yeah. Man, that's tough. Yeah. Tough. Well, thanks for sharing that and educating yeah. me a bit on the foster system. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you I should mean- get involved. I I've thought about it. I I'm limited on time, but I would really like to give back to that, to that system. Um, I mean, your perspective would be so important to be heard and, and be, and I think, you know, I'd suggest it might be beneficial for you too to see how terribly complicated all of these decisions are. mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things that in the only, you know, 10 days or so that I've been on the school board, um, you know, people will criticize school boards so harshly, especially during COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. and now as with everything, you know, being the person that actually has to make the very difficult decision and weighing all of the bad options, things are very, very complicated. And then sometimes, um, by being a part of the process, it can show you and give you a kind of a peek behind to understand wow, these things are way more complicated and difficult decisions to make. And it gives you a respect for the people that made the decisions before and understanding that, man, it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. You know, a lot of times you are choosing, choosing the least worst option, right? You you don't have a good option. It's just what, what, which one is the least worst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would be so good as a part of that system. I've thought about it. I, yeah, it's, I did think about that at, at one point. It's just, I'm so busy. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I <laughs> but hear you. I try to do my part by sharing other people's stories. And I've had other people on that are were in the foster care system that also share their, their stories. And I hope that by me doing something like this and having those kind of people on that their stories actually do help change the system in a, in a weird way, you know? Because if somebody hears their story, they may be like, well, I don't like that. What can we do to change that? Yeah. Let me give me, let me give you the speech that somebody gave me a long time ago. Uh, you know, this democracy is fragile and it, all of these organizations and boards that we have are the ones that govern and it's the people that show up and participate that are the ones that are making a, they're taking a sacrifice in order to be a part of the system. 
in most cases, they're not getting anything in, in return in return at all. Right. But, you know, if you see it as a duty as a citizen to be a part of it, you know, I, I served on the Zoning Board of Appeals. I've done in East Lansing. Uh, now I'm doing the school board, been involved in a citizen journalism nonprofit, um, obviously Ellie's Place. And uh, I do that because some mentors told me that this is your duty as a citizen, that you need to give back. I'm not saying need. I'm not right. broadcasting this to you. <laughs> you know, I, I am not qualified to give advice, but I just I feel like more citizens need to step up. And I, I say this to my friends all the time and be a part of it because it also it is so beneficial for you to see firsthand how the decisions are actually being made, because mm -hmm. it's easy to think, wow, this this group, this board that I don't really know, you know, they're making the decision because they're all self-serving and right. they're all, you know, they, they have these agendas and there's these conspiracies. And right. it turns out that a lot of the times it, you can, you can see that it's, they're very complicated things mm -hmm. that they're in, in my experience, everyone is really trying to do their best right? and they're yeah. really trying to give back. And when you see that firsthand and you're the one that, you know, you have to read, for instance, let me make this more real since I'm speaking too vague. Uh, Monday, I was appointed to the school board and they shook my hand and said, hey, can you be here Thursday? Because we have to hear an expulsion. I didn't even know that school boards were the ones that's, that had to adjudicate the expulsions uh, or the expelling a kid. And. Once you are a part of that process, you realize that it, this is very difficult. You know, my name is on one of these board meeting mm -hmm. minutes that is Travis Stoliker moved to a, basically expel this kid. Yeah, that's my name that's on there. You know, I had to look at the the mom, the kid and their attorney and the dad and oh. be a part of that process, you know, and. That's something that somebody on the outside could look at it and go, you know, how dare they do this? I, you know, I can't believe that they would do this. Um, They're a kid. Yeah. But right. when you're there and you have to weigh the, all of these terrible choices and you have to make, you have to decide between the least worst mm -hmm. choice, it's different, you know, and it gives you a respect for all those people that have dedicated their time to, right. to be a part of the system and make the whole system work. Right. You know, all of these boards are usually asking for people and begging for people to join and serve, and they're just looking for good people. And your experience would be so invaluable as a part of, you know, St. Vincent's or uh, the foster system or any of these organizations that are in that ecosystem, I guess. Right. Yeah. You should really consider it when you have enough time. I should consider it. Um I, and that, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I try not to be as critical on them as I was when I first started the podcast. When I first started the podcast, I had no idea of like how intricate the system was and like what goes into, again, making these choices. And, um, but like every, everybody's situation is different. I yeah. mean, you, it's so, like you said, it's so easy to talk negatively about something without really knowing the process. And so I try not to talk negative without being like, well, but, you know, maybe they were doing their best. Have you ever, um, the uh man in the arena it sounds familiar if you ever it's a book right um it's uh let me see if i can find it 
oh shoot i actually whoa it's like a bomb shelter down here i can't it's only doing sos <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah but it's uh is it dwight d eisenhower i think it is but he essentially says that you know no credit should be given to the critic you know the person that just diminishes what somebody else is doing theodore uh is it roosevelt roosevelt, yeah, roosevelt. Yeah. yeah um my memory has been terrible this one uh podcast <laughs> um, but it actually hangs on the wall for of uh, my son, wow. and it, you know it. He just says that it's the man in the arena, um, you know, man or woman in the arena that is the one that counts. It's the one that's actually there doing it. It's the doer of deeds, the one that's mm -hmm. doing the work. That's where the credit should be given. It's the one that tries repeatedly and fails and fails and fails, yeah. and then only later, you know, tastes success. That's the one that counts. It's not the one that's just tearing down from the sidelines. Right. And right. I think one of the things that's happened with social media, especially, is that now we're, it's so easy to criticize everything, you mm -hmm. know, and, but you shouldn't give any credit for that. You know, no. it's the person that's actually doing the work. Yep. That's the person that gets the credit. Absolutely. It's the, it's the people that show up for the board seats. It's the ones that show up and do the work. Yeah. Give them the credit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And that's something that I've witnessed personally with with the podcast is, you know, you put an episode out and somebody might not like it, um, but they're just criticizing the idea. Yeah, you've they're, had a couple of those. So yeah. you had a I just had another one, too. What was the recent one? <laughs> it was a city council guy. Oh, what what happened with that one? You know, I don't even know. So it was for Ward One here in Lansing. Um, his name's Michael Vandegucci or whatever. I just is, is he running or is he actually running. on it now? He's running. Okay. So he's running against Ryan Cost okay. or Coast, however you say his name. Okay. Um, but in the last episode we did, which I just released, we talked about uh, a, a late incident that happened with Ryan, who was arrested ten years ago and um, for a hit and run in Eaton County, and then didn't pay any of his fine any of his fines until like he was questioned by the city pulse the city pulse and the lansing state journal did a background check and they questioned him about it when they found out and he lied he straight up lied to him and then he went and set up a payment arrangement after he was questioned and then they came back and they're like i thought you didn't know about it and they're like he's like well i knew about it but i didn't think i owed that money because i spent a year in jail whatever so anyways, I released this episode. We just read the article on, on the podcast and people hated me for it. Like, and this is a thing. I'm like, this is a fact. This is something that happened. And yeah. he's running for a political position. Wouldn't you want to know about that? Right. And they're like, it just seems like a, a bashing session. Like you're just bashing. I'm like, it's, it's just fact. It's something that happened. Like if I, it's not my ward, I don't really care. But like, yeah. if, if I had to vote for this guy, I would want to know these things. Right. And so, um, yeah, that was a, that was the latest incident. Oh, where, man. Well, I, I know how much that hurts when no, that I happens. It doesn't really, it doesn't bother me anymore. But when it first happened, good for you. Um, I had Ryan Kelly on the podcast, and that's when you reached out to me yeah. to like just hit, tell me to keep my head up and whatever. Yeah. Um, that at first, it's so easy to just allow the general public to when they don't like something to like kind of beat you down, and you can't you can't allow that to happen, but. Um, but it's easier said than done. It is. But in the, that's the thing. If I was anybody else, like if I wasn't as confident as I am in who I am as a person, it might've defeated me. Right. Might've been enough for me to be like, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, certainly. But you know, having the, some people reach out and tell me like, Hey man, like, I appreciate that. Even if you don't like the interview, don't like the person, you don't have to just, we need to be adults where 
when we don't like something, we just look the other way. Right. We just don't tune in. Yeah. You know? We don't. We don't need to be <laughs> to, to the point where uh, I don't like that you say that. So also, you shouldn't be allowed to say that. Right. You know? Yeah. And that is why I didn't come on the podcast for so long. Was I just I didn't want. You know, I I'd, I'd went through a few of those experiences too, and I'm a pretty emotional guy, and it it got to me. And luckily, I've kind of developed a bit of a thicker skin. I mm-hmm. hope you know, and and that's why I've, I agreed to come on. I think I think I mean by doing hard things and like I mean obviously you run all the time. You've changed your physical appearance. You've changed so many things about you mentally it changes your confidence level and who you are as a person and the way you handle situations yeah. like that. Yeah, because if I was like, I had mentioned any, anybody else, if I wasn't confident in myself, like, so if I, for me working out builds confidence, it makes me feel good about myself. It makes Definitely. me feel like I'm a strong person. Yep. And so that also affects my mental state of being. So if I'm not working out my mental state of being, my mental strength is not there. And right. so if I were to go like go through that situation in any other circumstance that, like I said, it probably would have defeated me as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. The, what is that saying? Like the swallow the frog first, like mm. get the thing out of the way, do the thing you don't want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, and then I, I felt that today woke up, uh, uh, had a great time with my wife in the morning and then ran out, went out and did my run. And then immediately jumped in the lake. You know, it's 44 degrees out oh, and the yeah. lake is like 52. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that cold plunge, it just wakes me up. Yeah. It gets me going. And then drove here and the whole ride here, I was just ready to go. The, the colors were changing. <laughs> I think it's peak color here yeah. in Lansing. It was beautiful. If I would have done what I did two years ago and, you know, kind of got up, turned on the TV, hung out in bed for a while. Um, probably was nursing a bit of a hangover from the night before <laughs> since it's Sunday, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I would not be as fired up and motivated and ready to go as I feel right now. Yeah. You know, that, that discipline, there was a, either Serena or Venus Williams had one that said, uh, discipline is freedom. It is. Man, yeah. I love that. And then uh, discipline is destiny. Ryan holiday. I, mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And it was, it's so counterintuitive for me because that is not what I thought after selling right. the company. I was like, no, freedom is going to be, nobody gets to tell me what to do. Right. I go where I want to do. I wear what I want. I don't have to do anything. It turns out I had it exactly wrong. You're captive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. You're captive to, captive to your mind. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And exercise is so good for the mind or my mind at least. Yeah. yeah everybody's mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that exercise doesn't necessarily cure, but it, it helps tremendously with mental illness and men- mental like depression and anxiety. I believe it, that there was uh, Australia has just started. Basically they prescribe exercise before they prescribe other wow, things. That's but so it may, awesome. I might be getting that wrong and, and I'm sure, you know, and, and just to be clear, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, that, that's amazing what they've done and they're incredibly helpful tools. And so I'm not disparaging or diminishing any yeah. of that, but if I was, I would start with exercise first, yeah. see if you can fix that. And then the breathing, which for me, you know, there, there's been some studies showing that breathing is, it can change your mental state. Mm-hmm. And the, what I use exercise for is a way to trick me into deep breathing. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't really work out vigorously without 
breathing deeper, right. you know? I seen that you recently went and did hot yoga and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love hot yoga. That I, was brand new for me. I love it. But it, that's one thing that it forces you to do is breathe and take a moment to just like, especially after the workout and you're yeah. just sitting there focused and you're tired, you're, you're exhausted. And then now all you're focused on is recouping and just breathing. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. The that first, was great. The first time I ever went, I went to East Lansing Hot Yoga. That's where we went. Yeah. The first time I had, uh, I hallucinated. So like we did the workout and then I think it was like an hour and a half. And then I'm laying on the mat, the guy's doing the guided meditation thing. And I just, I hallucinated. I felt like I was on a beach. I could feel the sand and I, I could hear the waves crashing. That's amazing. And I, I could feel the sun. Obviously it's hot in there. But yeah. I could feel the sun and it just felt amazing. Then I snapped out of it. I'm like, I want to go back. <laughs> I didn't awesome. have that. Now I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> but you can get yourself into a hallucinative state by breathing. Absolutely. You really can. I, um, there's a guy, I forget the name. It's um, Train, Train the Brain LLC, I think it is. It's out of the Metro Detroit area oh. where he's licensed to train the Wim Hof breathing method. Oh. And it's like a four hour thing. And he, he does them all over the state. Okay. I think I'm going to do that too. I'll let you know yeah. when I do. Uh, That's cool. Maybe you'll join. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. All right. Cool. All right, Travis. Well, thanks for doing the podcast. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Same, buddy. Want to do it you. again? Absolutely. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Time we got. Perfect. Sunday.